Ladies and germs, welcome to the Health and Wealth Podcast, where true wealth is your health. I just interviewed Dr. Amber Lee Carter, doctor of metaphysics. If you've never heard of metaphysics before, it's the non-physical or the non-material in our world. One of the biggest takeaways from this entire episode is that we are the co-creators of our reality. The underlying pinnings of our physical reality is our consciousness or the universal consciousness and we are the co-creators of what we manifest. Totally will blow your mind. If you don't know Dr. Carter, check out her Instagram. She's amazing. Guys, if you're struggling with anything in your life, achieving your goals, health, and you're stuck, you got to start with your belief system and Dr. Carter is going to help you get there. Dr. Carter, thank you again for this hour interview and I'll talk to you guys soon. People who are listening, we this is our 18th attempt to start the podcast. Yep. Tell us what metaphysics is and why metaphysics is ruining this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so metaphysics is the energy beyond the physical world. So everything that you see that's physical has a metaphysical component to it, meaning it's beyond the five main senses of perception. It's intangible waves of energy that create a physical impact in the world. So similar to Wi-Fi and Bluetooth, you can't see, taste, touch, smell, hear Wi-Fi or Bluetooth, but you can see that physical impact of that imperceptible wave of energy on you know, a text message that comes up in your phone, streaming Netflix, all of those things that you can't really see what's going on, but it's a wave of energy that is a match it's a it's a resonance with whatever that device is so the human body works very similarly where you have uh, all of these waves of energy even your thoughts your emotions you can't see taste touch smell hear your thoughts or emotions but you're you're experiencing the physical impact of that wave of energy so if you have a thought or an emotion, it creates a biochemical cascade effect in the body. So if someone you love walks into the room, your heart can start pounding, your palms can start sweating, you have a physical response to an otherwise imperceptible wave of energy. That's metaphysics when it comes to the human body and health. How did you stumble across this? How is it? Because I read on your bio that you were on the fast track for traditional medicine. Mm -hmm. What turned you over to this type of thinking? Because it's way out there in terms of mainstream medicine. Right. So traditional medical school, I felt like it was going to be more of the same. I was getting my questions not answered in a satisfactory way. So in one of my neuroscience classes, because in college I was pre-med, so my uh, major was exercise science, and I double minored in neuroscience and psychology because I loved that mind-body connection. I wanted to know that driving force behind exercise motivation. That was my original intent for my studies. And so I wanted to know the mind and how it influenced the human body for certain behaviors, particularly exercise. I was wondering, between a, a family why is one sibling wanting to try out for sports where another sibling is a bookworm? So I was wondering, what is that driving force? And so it led me to studying neuroscience, psychology, and exercise science. And so in my neuroscience classes, I was asking about synapses in the brain. Essentially, if a synapse is dead, you're or you're dead, you don't have the synapses firing in your brain. And so all the physiological responses start shutting down all of those things. Well, my question was, what is telling the body to decay once it's already dead? So something's telling it, okay, you're dead. Now let's start the decaying process. So the body is still going through a physiological process. It just looks different. And so I was questioning that and no one had the answers. And so my professor pulled me aside and was like, you probably are going to get really frustrated if you go to medical school because you're not going to get the answers you're looking for. You're questioning things that are not part of this program. 
So I went into the research realm and I was like, okay, well, I'm at the epicenter of getting answers. So of course I'm going to get an answer here. And one thing led to another where it was the same thing. I was getting very, very frustrated with uh, running into red tape, brick walls, all these things about like, well, you know, we can't really, we don't have the funding to study that. Or, well, now now you're getting into genetics. And I was like, but what's telling the genetics? Like, what's telling the genes? <laughs> I, I was just wondering, what is the root of all of our physical reality? <laughs> That's what I was questioning. And so I got out of the research realm and started studying my own research by looking up scientists who had self-funded research studies, meaning no conglomerate was funding that research. So there was no skin in the game for showing a particular outcome, which I experienced personally on that end of research, these conglomerates coming to you wanting to fund a research study to show a particular outcome. And so, you know, I realized in that time that, yes, science doesn't lie, but people do. And so I got out of that realm and went into this whole other realm of self-funded research, true scientists who had no skin in the game. So they were looking at it at a pure, purely scientific level out of curiosity. And those uh, answers were so different from the funded research. And so that was fascinating to me. And so that led me into looking up quantum physics and deeper answers into what the building blocks are of our physical world. And so when I got into quantum physics, that really led me into metaphysics, where there was a doctorate program that you could study all kinds of things, um, anywhere from ESP. And, and there are so many studies, scientific research studies. I mean, the United States Army is one of the biggest uh, proponents of ESP. They use it in their training because if you can uh, remote view where a threat is during warfare, how advantageous is that for your team if you can um, have psychokinetic abilities and um, all of these things where you can locate on coordinates of a map where your target enemy is located just through your mind, that's powerful and that's an advantage. So there's a lot of funding that goes into that type of research. Now, no one's talking about this, but it's not some woo-woo voodoo witchcraft that we're talking about. This is science. This is a very hardcore science that is being utilized every single day. So when I understood that there's a science behind psychic ability, all of these things that I originally was thinking was BS, especially me growing up outside of the outskirts of New Orleans, Louisiana, uh, with palm readers, you know, we celebrated palm readings just as much as Palm Sundays. So <laughs> we were, I was getting my palms read at, you know, 12 years old and being like, these people are whack. Like, this is so weird. But I had such a scientific mind that I started connecting the dots about, well, you know, what these people are saying when they're reading my palms, a lot of it's true. So is there a science behind this? If if there's a science behind this, what is that science? And so that led me into metaphysics. And that was the connective point for me between the mind-body connection, that driving force behind all of our behaviors and physical reality. Wow. There's so much to unpack here. Yeah. <laughs> we got to start we, we got to start from the beginning then. What is the basis of all physical reality? So the basis, you can call it consciousness. Um, okay. You can call it God. You can call it all, all that is. It's when you really get to the science of it, it is in very watered down terms. It's the space between the nucleus of an atom and its orbiting electrons. It's that flux of energy, that empty space that has potential energy, meaning it could be created into anything. What decides what gets created 
is your belief system, your intention, your consciousness. You are a participant in the creation of your reality. And so the double slit experiment is an experiment that looked at the behavior of photons, which is a, um, a, a piece of protons, neutrons, electrons, and photons. That, that's part of the makeup of um, atoms and all of the, um, the, the root of our molecules, our organs, our, our human body. So when you get down into the most quantum fundamental building block of our human body, it's sound, it's waves of energy. You are not technically solid, you're vibration. And so when you look at the principles of sound, all you have to do is match a resonance. So it's, it's measured in hertz uh, wavelengths. And so if you can match those hertz wavelengths, kind of like tuning a radio station to where it's staticky and then you, you turn it and then all of a sudden the song comes out very clearly, that's when something gets physically manifested as your physical reality. There's a match there. So when you realize that that's the fundamental building blocks of all of our physical reality, then you can have a lot of wiggle room because if you realize you're a participant, then that gives you a lot of power, but you're still co-creating with other people around you, you know, the universe, if you want to call it that. Um, but you can call it God, all that is, that, that fundamental energy, that pure energy that's a flux of potential um, energy that can be created into anything based on your belief system, based on your intention. So the double slit experiment shows that photons can behave like a particle of matter or waves of light energy. So waves of light is the potential energy of, it can be created into anything. So what determines when it turns into a particle of matter is a researcher or a person observing that photon. So as soon as, if you're looking over here and there's waves of light and you look at something, it all of a sudden turns solid. So it's kind of the theoretical question, if a tree falls in a forest and no one's there to hear it, you know, did, did it really fall? You know, that all those theoretical questions that you think of, Really, it's does the tree even exist unless you're looking at it? So that, you know, you're getting more into philosophy of metaphysics versus the science of it. Uh, but really, you're engaging in your physical reality 100% of the time. So you're creating everything around you, good and bad. So for the physical reality, if I'm understanding this correctly, is... It's something objective that exists between the nucleus and the electrons, but it maybe activated is the wrong word, but it's something that can only become something for you when you are an active participant in creating this reality. Correct. Yes. Mm -hmm. And then what you mentioned, which I read a few of your articles about belief systems, your belief systems are the driver for how you co-create this reality for yourself. Yes. Is that Yes. So your belief, okay. it, you can think of it as gasoline in a car. So the car can only go if you put the gasoline in it. So if you think of your thoughts, your beliefs, your emotions, that's the gasoline that drives that car. So your, a thought is just a, an electrical wave of energy. Your emotion involves the heart field, which is electromagnetic. So you're combining those two force fields of electricity and magnetism, and that creates a physical reality of, based on those two planes of energy. So it's like a zero point energy field. You can create anything from that, that heart space. You can think of things all day long, but it doesn't necessarily mean it's going to physically manifest just because you thought of it. But if you, pull in your emotion along with the thought that is a driving force behind your behavior it, it's a motivator behind why you're acting and doing the way you're doing things and then that gets pushed into your world around you and so that's really the driving force behind what you are creating around you
So if we're going to kind of dial this in a little more practical, mm -hmm. it sounds like if any of your clients are going to start somewhere, is it with their belief system? Yes. That's really one of the major things. Now, you can work top down or bottom up. So you can work with someone's belief system, but if they're having a really hard time accessing a frequency, meaning if I say, what would it feel like to feel totally safe in your body? If someone has not felt safe in 40 years, that's going to be very difficult for them to access. So it's practicing running that frequency th through the nervous system. So you can utilize things to help you access that frequency. Like watching a movie helps access frequency. Being in a hotel, being on, vac on vacation, being with family and friends, going to have a cocktail with a friend. Those experiences involve your thoughts and your emotions. So it's, it's that zero point energy field that you're creating that belief in that moment or shifting a belief in that moment. Emotions are very powerful for being able to change something with your health. So you can have experiences to help hold that resonance, that energy to support whatever shift you want to create. Maybe it's a practice in feeling more safe in your body. Or you can take certain supplements that help support the biochemistry to create a safe feeling in the body, like GABA or um, L-theanine, you know, all these things that can help calm the nervous system physiologically. Well, then the emotions and the brain and the thoughts catch up with that. So you can work top down or bottom up. When you say feel safe in the body, is that lack of anxiety, lack of depression? What does that mean? So safety is a huge thing that people, safety is a belief. So it's a core belief that can be at the root of your money patterns, your relationship patterns, all of those things. So safety is a huge belief system that is, it's a root belief system. If you don't feel safe, meaning say that i innately have fight or flight in me if i'm more so in my sympathetic nervous system versus parasympathetic so if i'm if i experience a trauma or um meaning the experience is neutral but if i experience it as a trauma my nervous system goes into fight or flight even if I, it's just a picture of a tiger, my nervous system is believing that there's a, a physical tiger in the room. So even if I know I'm safe, my nervous system doesn't. So safety is a really big issue for a lot of people. And if you feel safe, it's a calming of the nervous system. It's feeling like you belong to yourself. You're grounded you feel safe to express yourself. You feel safe to exist. You feel safe to um, emote. You feel safe to be vulnerable. And vulnerability is the root of all connection. So vulnerability being the root of all connection, that also is the root of all of your relationships and how well you can um, navigate through that. So if you don't feel safe, those behaviors look like lying they look like you know manipulative behaviors it looks like control and control is very tricky because it's not necessarily trying to control someone it's very nuanced it's very subtle it can come out in very subtle ways of maybe you're a sensitive person and so you feel uncomfortable when someone is crying in front of you or if they're sad and if you're uncomfortable You'll try to control it in a manipulative way so that, ironically, you feel better. So you will start trying to control the way that person feels. You'll downplay whatever they're experiencing instead of just holding the space for someone and allowing them to be safe to be exactly where they're at. You don't have to fix it. You don't have to move it. You don't have to shift it for them. You can just be and allow. You're not judging the situation. If you're safe in your body, you can allow that person to be exactly who they are in front of you. It's not challenging you 
or creating resistance in your own body in a way. That's true safety. Wow. Do, is self-esteem tied to this safety? Definitely. So, yeah, if self-esteem is low, there's self-worth issues there, but definitely safety is tied to that because if you're not feeling safe in your own body, like, meaning if you feel very triggered very easily by everyone around you, that can alter your self-esteem because then you're thinking, okay, I can't control anyone outside of me. Like what, what if someone says this and I get triggered very easily? You're vulnerable to everyone else's stuff. And so that safety mechanism, if you're safe, your self-esteem tends to be a little higher because you feel confident that you can handle whatever comes your way in that moment. You can respond in that present moment very easily. If you're not safe, that can affect your self-esteem because you might not be as confident to handle certain situations. I'm like blown away right now because <laughs> when you're describing people who feel unsafe, you're describing people sometimes who can be controlling or manipulative or even aggressive. Mm -hmm. And when I think of people who feel unsafe, I think the opposite, like they're meek, they're quiet, they're always anxious. And this is, so it's almost like, you, you ever hear the phrase, hurt people, hurt other people? 100%. It sounds like unsafe, people who feel unsafe make other people feel unsafe as well. Exactly. Well, everything gets mirrored in your reality. So you experience everything outside of you due to what's running inside of you. So, for example, you could maybe have an insecurity about your shoes that day. Maybe they're a little too bright. Maybe they're bright green shoes. And you're like, Ugh, I don't know how I feel about this. This is going to draw a lot of attention. But you know what? Okay, fine. So you put them on. You go to the store. Well, say someone says, hey, I love your shoes. You immediately go to that insecure place of like, oh, they're just, they're joking. They're actually poking fun at me. And they genuinely love your shoes. But you're going to experience it as a threat. You're going to experience it as like, oh, you're saying that because my shoes are green. And they're like, well, yeah, but not in a bad way. I love your shoes. And you're like, yeah, okay, buzz off. <laughs> and they're like, what did I do? I didn't, I, I said I love your shoes. So it's different for everyone. Conversely, you could love your shoes and feel really, really confident about it. And if you walk into the store and someone says, hey, those are the ugliest shoes I've ever seen. You're like, cool, thanks. Didn't ask for your opinion. And you just walk on <laughs> because you don't care. You're experiencing it as your own belief system. So when this goes and filters into relationships, all of your relationships, your experience of that person in front of you is based on your belief system. So, so often we always say like, oh, I wish he would change or I wish you wouldn't do this or, and it's really, you don't have to change the other person. The other person doesn't even have to change. If you change your belief system, that person, in order to maintain resonance with you, in order to be a match in your physical reality, has to change in order to maintain that frequency or else they'll fall away and a new person will come in. So instead of, you know, we always tend to think, oh, I'm going to break up with him or I'm going to break up with her. And then a new person comes in and it's the same exact relationship just with a new person. But it's the same programs over and over again until you learn it's inside of you. It's your belief system that's running this whole circus around you. How does somebody see these patterns? Because I'm sure you've had friends, I've had friends, where I've had male friends that date the same crazy girl 10 times in a row. <laughs> right. And they don't see it. Mm -hmm. So how does somebody become more self-aware of their own destructive patterns? Drama. Drama grabs Dra your attention. Okay. So you will, the noise will get louder and louder and louder and louder in your life until you wake up to it and make a change. So, and everyone's threshold is different. So something that 
I might see very quickly and say, oh, okay, I gotta, I gotta change that. I gotta do something else. Someone else might go, honestly, 50, 60 years without making that change. So it's very different for different people. And it depends on the circumstance or situation. My threshold might be way higher for something else where that person that it would take them 60 years to figure out something that would be simple for me, they would figure it out very quickly. So that's why Earth is so fun. (laughs) (laughs) If you're willing to open up about it, what do you have a low threshold for? I have a very low threshold for myself personally. um, I have a low threshold for pain. Not necessarily physical pain. I can take a a big punch. <laughs> not not that anyone's punched me physically. <laughs> oh my gosh! <laughs> but no, I can take a um a painful like physical situation way more than an emotional painful situation. If I know that someone is saying go g- going through something or worse thinks that I did something, I'm not okay with that because I want to explain to them, first of all, I view everything very differently from the average person. So I'm going to realize, okay, they're getting triggered by something I said or did, and my intention was not that at all. I was actually very neutral about this, but yet they're blowing up or experiencing a fight or flight experience of something I did that I had no meaning behind it. And so what I've worked on is my feelings of responsibility for how other people feel because you can't control that. You can only go through life with as much good intent as possible. If you have a compassionate heart and your intention is there, then that's all you can really do. You can't really convince someone or force them to see it your way. If they feel that way about you, they're entitled to that. That feeling is valid. They don't have to change it. So if they're feeling badly or upset, or I am going to hold a lot of compassion for them because everyone gets triggered. I get triggered. So if they're going through an internal storm All I can do is be as loving as possible and have a conversation about it after the emotions come down a little bit. But my threshold for that is very, very low. I'm I'm extremely sensitive to other people and, and their feelings. That's very enlightened to say you're not responsible for other people's feelings. Because how many people struggle their entire life with people pleasing? You're a doctor. You Mm -hmm. treat patients people pleasing or me personally I'm a dentist I want to do good work Mm -hmm. I seek approval and even if I do the best work and the patient's unhappy it hurts my feelings yeah and it's hard to it's hard to disconnect from that and saying well I'm not responsible for how they feel because I go home and I feel responsible (laughs) for how they feel right and you know it's different in in certain ways you know, you have a responsibility as a doctor to do your best and do no harm and all of those things. And as long as you did that at the end of the day, the way they feel about it is not necessarily the big thing. Um, You know, being a parent, you're a parent. So of course you have actual responsibilities, but the way your child feels about you taking the TV remote away because she needs to get to bed on time, you know, you're not really responsible for that, but you are responsible for getting her to bed on time. So there, everything is so nuanced, but yes, when it comes to someone's feelings or their experience of you, that's different. Now, a warning sign of this is people in, who read metaphysical things and stuff, who are lean towards um, being kind of a bully in certain aspects, they take this and run with it. And they're like, well, I'm not responsible for you feeling that way, but they're being uh, like, a bully. <laughs> They're being mean. And so it's not giving you the green light to just be mean to everyone you come in and encounter with, but, and then say, oh yeah, well, I'm not responsible for that. But yeah, your intention was not very good. You know, so there are nuances to it. 
That kind of sounds like when people say, I speak the truth, and if you don't like it, tough shit. Right. It's like, no, no, you're just being rude. Yeah, exactly. Sometimes you're just being rude, you know? So it people take this and really run with it, or like they could throw a brick at you and you'd be like, why did you just throw a brick? And they're like, well, your experience it, your experience of that is me throwing the brick. But did I really, you know, it's like, yeah, you did. <laughs> you know, there's, there's things that people can really blow this out of proportion, but generally speaking uh, on a metaphysical playing field, yes, you're not really responsible for the way people feel, but if you threw the brick, you threw the brick. <laughs> That sounds like gaslighting. Like, that sounds like pure narcissistic yep. manipulation. Oh, yeah. yeah. So if I'm coming to you and I want to change my belief systems, where do we start? Well, it depends on... So most people don't even know what their belief is. So they'll come to me saying, oh, I, like, I don't know if I want to divorce my husband or... Um, I really want to lose 10 pounds or, you know, I have this health ailment or this issue that I want to look at. So it, it, where it shows up loudly in one area of your life, it's showing up everywhere, but you're only noticing the thing that is most loud at that moment. So it's going to show up, like, say you have a health ailment. Every health ailment has a belief system behind it. So cancer, for instance, is anger. So that there's different emotions and different belief systems. And, and there's different belief systems within that emotion as well. So anger could look so different for so many things. It could be female anger. It could be um, repressed emotions. It, it could be suppressing your expression. It, it, there's so many different nuances to it. So it really depends on the person. But we all tend to run off of similar root frequencies. So shame is the lowest frequency on the planet. And if you're not willing to talk about shame, it grows and it, it gets really powerful. So it can manifest in so many different ways. But if someone comes to me for a relationship issue, I'm going to go to the same belief system that might be anger for cancer. It It's going to show up somewhere. So it's just going to look different. It could be a very nasty divorce or it could be cancer for someone else. It's, it's the same belief though. So that could be true for those two instances. Now, there could be other beliefs going on that have to do with money or career or so many different things. So it depends. If someone comes to me saying, I want to lose 10 pounds, it seems simple enough, but I'll go into the belief system behind that. And there are hormones and physiological processes that mimic this belief system. So for instance, if you want to lose 10 pounds, but you can't stop eating, there's a hormone, ghrelin, that tells you whether or not you're full. And so that that could be off. So you could also supplement with certain things to help turn that off and help support that physiological process to help you then lose the 10 pounds. Yes, we're still gonna work on the belief system behind that, but I also want to make sure your physiology is working at top notch as well and, and getting that support system. So. What I do is not flying in the face of Western medicine either. I'm a, a very big proponent of that, that if I slice my leg open, I'm going to go to the emergency room. I'm not going to look at my belief system. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. right? Like you have to use the right tool at the right time for that appropriate moment. So it's not saying one's better than the other. In fact, I think all options are valid. I think everything's a tool in the toolbox and you just have to utilize what's in resonance with you at the time. It might be an essential oil is great for this person where a, an antibiotic prescription is great for that person. And who's to say that that might switch on a given day. So when you're so attached to your belief system about 
oh, I only do alternative medicine or I only do alternative stuff. I'm like, I hate Western medicine. They, you know, kill people. And yes, all of that might be true. But conversely, a Western medicine believer might say, oh, alternative medicine people kill people. They, they don't get vaccinated. They don't do that. You know, it's beliefs. At the end of the day, all of these things are tools and you're entitled to pick which one works for you at any given moment. You don't have to join the bandwagon just because everyone else is. Even if a study shows that milk is good for bones, well, people who are lactose intolerant can't drink milk. So you can't chastise someone for having a different physiology and a different belief system and a different program going on, even though a research study says, this is good for you but not everyone is created the same way. Everyone has genetic mutations going on, different belief systems, different cultures, different programs, different societal beliefs. There's so much going into creating one individual person and our society is so much hive mindset of like, we all need to band together on this one concept. And that's not true. It's that's why we're here on earth. It's a fun playing field. You're entitled to experience it in your own unique way. I want you to be different from me because I can learn more that way than if you're agreeing with me on everything. I already know what I believe. <laughs> I want to know what you believe. You have a very open-minded mindset. I can tell you're a very compassionate person. And I love the approach you're taking where it's maybe supplements short term, like we'll fix your short term of supplements, but let's get to the root cause, mm -hmm. which is your belief system. Right. So let's say you give me supplements, you've, you've palliatively fixed me, not fixed me, palliatively helped me out. Mm -hmm. Now we're getting into my belief systems. How do you walk through a patient with, so let's say, I'll give you an example from me. Mm -hmm. I'm a very anxious person person in general. Okay. Uh, I suffer from people pleasing. Mm -hmm. It's just my business. I worry if I don't go to the nth degree for a patient, if I don't go bend over backwards, all my patients will leave me. Mm -hmm. But that creates stress, people pleasing. How would you approach somebody like me to people please less, but still be able to function at work? So it depends on the etiology of where that belief came from. So it could be, let's say childhood, say that you did something and it wasn't good enough. So your belief is I'm not enough. If you believe that you are not enough, you're going to have to do something to earn affection, love, praise, money, whatever it is, friendship. You don't have to do anything to deserve any of that. You deserve all of it because you exist. You're a human being on planet Earth, just like everyone else. You are enough. So it's not enough, I know, ironically, to say that to yourself as a positive affirmation because you can tell yourself all day long, I'm enough. Your nervous system doesn't think that. Your brain is wired otherwise. You can think that thought. You could even know intellectually, okay, I know I'm enough, but like, why don't I feel that? I don't feel it in my nervous system. I'm still getting hyper anxious when someone doesn't like the job that I did on their teeth. So even though you know you're enough, your body is wired otherwise. So there are a lot of different ways that you can approach this. You can take certain supplements to help change your biochemistry to change your thoughts and your emotions and all of those things but your belief so let's go through it right now so this is something that i would do with with a client so ask yourself the open-ended question of what would it feel like in my body if i felt like i was enough so when you ask that open-ended question what would it feel like to feel enough and if it's so foreign to you and you can't quite, it's, it's almost like a spark plug, like just, just like trying to connect, that's okay. Think of, the more that you think of a person who you think has really good confidence or really good self-esteem or really has good boundaries with people and feels like they're enough, 
you can imagine yourself running that energy through you. Like, I wonder what it would feel like to be that person. I wonder what it would feel like to say no to people, to actually have boundaries. So you can go around the belief with the behaviors. So if you don't feel like you're enough, your boundaries are going to be very poor with people. So you could even play with boundaries. So you could say, what would it feel like if I had boundaries? And a lot of fear and anxiety. I just saw in your energy field starts coming up. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Right? So now you're getting that feeling of, oh God, if I have boundaries, they're going to leave me. So this gets into performance control. It starts seeping into other beliefs. So that's why I call it a pattern because yes, you can have this belief over here, but it's also tied to this thing over here. And if you pull on this string, like a, like a Jenga, (laughs) you pull on this, this is going to move. So we can attack it in any different way that you want. Something's going to move and shift. So a session with me might look like just a conversation on a phone, or I use hiking sessions as well. So I'll do in-person hiking sessions near water because water has negative ions. Moving water has negative ions. And that opens up detox pathways in the body, which helps emotions come up and come out. So it helps you get really clear on your beliefs. So, and moving the body helps this as well. So exercise is great as well. But uh, for just a phone conversation, it feels like, okay, I just had a conversation, but we're physically moving these beliefs and that's causing a different biochemical effect in the body, which affects your hormones. It affects all your biochemistry, the way that you think, the way that you're feeling, your emotions that starts shifting your physical reality because like I said, your beliefs are creating your physical reality. So if you and I just have a conversation about one belief or an aspect of that belief, all of a sudden the next day, your physical reality changes. Maybe you get a new patient and you feel really good about this patient and you don't have to do anything. And they're like, oh my God, I, I love this. This was great. And you had really great boundaries and all of those things. That's wonderful. Now, it could also look like, say someone's like, oh, I really want to, you know, be a CEO of this company and I have a session with them and the next day they lose their job. So that it can also look like, whoa, um, don't like this, abort, 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 you know. Um, but if you see and pay attention to those changes and see, oh, I couldn't get that CEO job still being in this job. I was let go so that I'm able to work on this skill set to get the CEO job, or maybe that job has opened up for a position and you are ready. So sometimes it's chosen for you and you got to jump and just figure it out. So the universe, whatever you want to call it, consciousness, God, all, all that is, is always working on your behalf to bring you the biggest lessons that you can learn in that moment when you're in resonance with it. It sounds like when you're changing your belief systems, you have to see the forest through the trees or even a religious term. You have to have faith. Mm-hmm. Like you said, like if I want to be CEO and I get fired the next day, I'm thinking like, holy crap, I made the worst decision in my life. Right. So how does somebody as they're changing their beliefs, is it faith you ask your clients to have, your patients to have when things aren't going immediately their way? That's a really good question. I think people who work with me are in resonance with me and already know that they're going to figure it out. So anyone who's saying, oh no, I'm not ready for that. They're not really going to sign up for a session with me anyway, because you have to be ready for those changes. It's people who are like, I'm so exhausted dating the same person over and over again. Sock it to me. Like, let's go. What's going on? So it's those people who are really, really ready. That's who I love working with because they're just like right out the gate. Let's go. So most of the time I have to slow them down and be like, "Let's, (laughs) let's look at this and take it one day at a time because people are so fed up. 
right now with just everything and there's not a lot of reflection brought to it and so when you start reflecting on the little things they start noticing the bigger things and other little things and then it gets exciting for them like oh you know this happened and then that happened and so i realized that's my belief you know it, it gets fun because you're like oh my gosh i'm really in this i'm really in this game i'm really creating my reality and yes yeah, some things happen to you that are just totally out of your control and you're like okay you don't want to beat yourself up either about like god i know i created that but that was a you know very traumatic event you don't want to really beat yourself up for that either it's not it's not that your reality is 100 percent in your control either so there's a fine line you want to always have compassion for yourself throughout this whole process which is hard for maybe a lot of people me personally mm -hmm. um you're a high achiever as well i'm sure you're, you're highly critical of yourself when things don't go exactly the way oh, you yeah. want it to go <laughs> okay yeah yep and it's it's hard because being an achiever you know and that could also just be a dopamine thing it could be something easily supplemented so you have to look at all of those things where okay maybe yes i'm an overachiever or an achiever and i get a lot from um praise say well if you know that your dopamine is off you're gonna go that much harder after something to get that dopamine hit in your day maybe it, your threshold is higher to where you have to create more drama to get that feeling where if someone's dopamine um production is normal they might not be as driven to achieve because they they feel a dopamine hit if they look at a cookie you know they don't have to go get a phd <laughs> they're they're good <laughs> so it's really different for everyone but yeah i mean your beliefs can also supplement the effects that a supplement can produce and create in your body so your belief about i am not enough that could also be a very big driving force behind why you achieve I've never heard it put that way about the dopamine. Mm -hmm. When I was interviewing our mutual friend, Tyler, oh, yeah. I think I had the genetic mutation where my body breaks down dopamine slowly. Okay. So like when I, when I get the dopamine, I think it lasts for a very long time. Amazing. Well, that's good. Which I, I think is good, but it, it makes me really seek achievement because like the high I get from achievement or even like the high I get from carbohydrates last forever. Mm. And like my wife can eat a piece of cake and put it down and she's fine. Mm -hmm. I eat like two potato chips and I'm like, I got to eat the rest of the house. <laughs> okay. And even gotcha. with achie achie achievement the same way. Like every time I get a podcast or I find someone exciting like you, it's so dopamine driven. Like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. And mm -hmm. it takes forever to wear off. Yeah. Very interesting. Okay. Yeah. Well, and combine that biochemical thing that you have going on with a belief that you're not enough that <laughs> yes recipe for disaster. recipe for anxiety <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah right so when you when your patients are rebuilding their belief systems is it kind of like homeostasis like do you, do do they like slowly shift back into like their old beliefs and how do they prevent that they could uh yeah it it can, because everything well everything works off of resonance so if you have a guitar string say there's a g note that's tuned on a guitar if you pluck that g note all the other guitars in the room that have a g string will also vibrate so and with clocks like a pendulum swinging clock the strongest pendulum that has the strongest um, vacillation back and forth, all the other clocks will synchronize to that rhythm, the strongest one in the room. So if you your belief is extremely strong 
with emotion, conviction, knowledge behind it, because knowledge increases your conviction about something. So if your belief is so, so, so strong, and that belief also combats another belief, maybe like your religious beliefs, for instance, that's going to be really, 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 really strong. And that can also counter the belief of I'm not safe if I don't believe this because my whole family believes this, my whole culture, my whole society believes this. What if I don't? I'm going to be cast out. I'm going to, you know, the the brainstem thinks you're going to die if you don't believe this. So it depends on how strong that belief is or that or the counter belief that drives you to believe that thing. So there's a lot that goes into it. A belief has to atrophy in order for it to fall away and a new belief to come in. So that new belief that you want to have has to be stronger than the old belief. So your daily life and your behaviors and your routines, if this is the dominant belief, this is the dominant frequency, the subconscious program that overrides everything. If you do a few things here and there, it, it starts to atrophy. But of course, say something loud happens, something dramatic, you're going to get revert right back to that old belief system because that's like a safety mechanism. But keep going with it and you keep working with it and keep working with it to where the new belief starts edging itself in to where if something like that happens again, this one is still strong. That's when you know, okay, this one has really atrophied a lot. And this is the new dominant behavioral system, the the new dominant belief. And that's when it finally like clicks and you don't have to keep repeating the same patterns over and over again, rooted in that former belief system that you've atrophied along the way because you've been practicing this new belief system. The more you practice, just like anything else, the the faster, the stronger that it'll start becoming the more dominant frequency. It kind of reminds me of what you were saying earlier that a lot of people don't feel safe or they seek safety. And it seems like these old belief systems are a haven for safety for some of these people. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Right. That's I mean, safety is, I think, at the root of, I think it's it's probably like a base frequency for everyone. Just, I mean, safety equals survival for the most part. So that's going to be a huge thing. And it's so hard because you mentioned before too about the hive mind that a lot of people feel shame, which you said is the lowest frequency, mm -hmm. when they leave the majority thought. So it has to be so hard to change your belief system when all your friends, your family, your spouse believe something else. Oh, How yeah. are you coaching your patients to go against, I don't want to say social programming, but to go against their, their influence circle when they need to change their belief to improve their life? Well, everyone's entitled to their own beliefs. So it depends on who your friends and family are. If they are not threatened by you having a different belief system, then you can coexist with them just fine. If they believe one thing, you believe another, and you're both entitled to that, and you both agree that we're agreeing to disagree, and I still love you, great. And that's wonderful, because then you can learn from each other along the way. So, you know, we're programmed to think that we're not safe if someone doesn't believe what you believe. It's a safety thing, because we're we're of a tribal mindset. That's like where we come from. And being in a tribal mindset, that's your safety and survival. So if you can feel safe in your own body, like I can survive regardless if I have a tribe or not, then you feel really free to believe whatever you want. And when you feel free to believe all of those things, the more people show up who match that belief system or who match the core belief system that you're safe regardless of your um, top tier beliefs. So you can have a core belief that you're safe to express whatever you want and your friend might have that core belief to that they feel safe to express whatever they want. 
Now, you might on the surface level have different religions, different political beliefs, different um, medical beliefs, different, you know, all those things might be different on the surface, but your core belief is that you're safe with each other to be whatever you want to be. So you're going to find people who do match that core resonance with you. So yeah, it is hard at first if you're like, oh God, I'm just surrounded by everyone who believes the same things that we all believe, but I don't necessarily agree with them. How do I find friends who are like-minded? Well, I would encourage people to look at their core belief because if you really feel safe, then it doesn't matter what those surface level beliefs are of your friends or family or loved ones. It could be fun to have a friend who believes the same exact thing that you do, but that could even cause problems if your core belief is different. So everyone in your life, regardless if they believe the same thing or not, they're in your life because you're in resonance with them in some way. So even if you don't have any shared beliefs, there's a shared resonance on some level to learn lessons. This is so insightful. Yeah. It sounds like the shared resonance is like a recipe for a really good marriage. Yes, definitely. Yeah, you have to be, well, marriages are, are very interesting because a lot of the time your romantic partner is going to be your number one mirror and your number one trigger. <laughs> so they're going to push you to learn and grow and expand. So they, you know, traditionally speaking, some relationships are not so, or some marriages are not so good. But traditionally speaking, yes, your romantic partner is going to be your number one mirror and your number one person to reflect all of your inner stuff. And so you'll repeat these patterns over and over and over again for, you know, 20, 30, 40 years. And Sometimes you learn to just live with it and it's just like your thing, your cycle that you do with each other. But if you really reflect on it, you can, how powerful would that be if you both are aware and say these things and grow together and push each other um, in a very loving way, very loving, compassionate way and not trying to fix the other one or trying to do something uh, or make the other one change so that you feel more safe. You know, all those things. It, it's just working on yourself and looking at yourself first. And if that partner of yours is triggering something in you, it's looking at that as information. They're telling me something about myself that I'm not seeing. And so they're offering a lot of value to you when they're doing that. I need to personally take that advice. If you're being triggered by someone, it's a mirror into a certain non-advantageous belief system well it's not necessarily non-advantageous it could be just a belief you might want to look at and you might want to double down on that belief but the trigger why do you have resistance and judgment against whatever that is so like if you want to use an example what's something that really triggers you Criticism. <laughs> okay. my, my, my wife would tell you the same thing is criticism. Okay. So if someone's criticizing you, your belief is, your belief is already I'm not enough. So if someone's telling you you're not enough, <laughs> yeah. you're going to get pissed off. Yeah. So if you look at that belief and you really felt like you are enough, if someone's criticizing you, you're not going to care. So it's yeah. it's insightful to say, okay, this person's criticizing me. Why am I so triggered? Why am I so bothered by that person? Why do I have so much resistance and judgment against what that person's saying? Well, because you believe what they're saying. And so if you have resistance around it, you're like, no, that's not true. That's not true. Well, it might not be true, but you don't really believe that. You're buying into what they're saying. Yeah. That's so true. I could talk to you for 10 more hours about everything yeah. about my belief system. <laughs> so we are coming up on the hour mark. Mm -hmm. I just guess you're a superstar. Oh, thank you. Um, so nice. I told this to our mutual friend, Tyler, but I think you are going to blow up this year, influence <laughs> social media, your impact. 
I love all the content you're producing. Oh, thank you so much. I really appreciate that. Thank you. Absolutely. So I want to end with a couple of questions. Okay, yeah. The first question is, what is the biggest takeaway you'd want the audience to have from this hour interview? That you are way more powerful than you think. It's getting your power back, getting more in your body and seeing how you're really creating everything around you. And not in a way that you're going to beat yourself up about it, but in a way that's very empowering. I want everyone to feel empowered after listening to this, to feel like there is, um, well, you know, I love that you said faith earlier because faith I've found recently is very different from hope. Hope has fear at the root of it, where faith is, has safety in it. You know, when you have faith in yourself, you're like, yeah, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do it. Hope is like, I hope this works out. <laughs> I don't know if this is going to work out. I hope it does. So I love that you said faith earlier, because I think having faith in yourself and really believing in yourself and feeling empowered to really change your life and improve it in some way and that you're worthy of that. You know, some people are like, oh, I have all these blessings in my life, but like, who am I to want more? But like, who cares? <laughs> that, that's okay. You know, you're here to grow and expand and explore and you're entitled to that. If you want to explore more or improve on something, that's okay. So I would say drop your judgment about where you're at or where other people are at. Drop that, that resistance and really step into your power. You're doing such good work. Thank you. You really are. Um, as someone who also treats people and heals people, I know people pay you gratitude, but I think you need to really understand that the work you're doing is not so far wacky, holistic. It's not mainstream medicine. You're a seeker of truth and you're a seeker for healing people and more people need to know about you. So I truly appreciate your time being here. I'm grateful that we spent this hour together. Oh, thank you so much. And I feel the same about you. I mean, I think you're on a path where you're trying to really help others and especially your loved ones, which my heart goes out to you because I know how that is. When you're, you're close to loved ones, you want to help as much as possible and seek out any individual who might have an answer. Um, but in some ways, the answer is always inside of that person who's struggling. The answer is always inside. And so it's just a matter of getting clear on that. But it does help to have individuals or practitioners or supplements or, or antibiotics or things like that that can help you get there on your own and really see what's going on inside of you. So everything is purposeful. But I think that you're on a really great path to, even though you have your own motivations for what you're doing, I think everyone is going to be able to benefit from listening to your podcast. So thank you for thank, having me. Thank you so much. Thank you. So before we end, where can people find you? Where can they, first of all, your podcast is funny. When, um, <laughs> you, you, you have a very witty sense of humor. Tell us oh, yeah. the, the name of your podcast. Tell us your Instagram. Tell us everything about you. So my podcast is called Ask Amberly. Uh, it's on Spotify and um, Apple Podcasts and all the things. And then you can also go to my website, amberlycarter.com, A-M-B-E-R-L-E-I-G-H, carter.com. Uh, you can find my all of my stuff on there. My socials are, uh, Instagram is Dr. Amberly Carter, D-R period, Amberly Carter. Um, I have TikTok. I think it's the same thing, D-R period, Amberly Carter. Um, I have Twitter. I haven't tweeted anything yet. So there's that. Um, and then... Uh, oh, Facebook. Yeah, I, it's Am Dr. Amberly Carter as well. So yeah, thank you so much for having me. I think that's all you can, uh, everywhere you can find me. I do in-person sessions in Austin, Texas, and now in uh, Rosemary Beach, Florida. So, um, and I might do in-person sessions in Louisiana every now and then, but people are not as um, 
inclined to do that. They like they like the phone sessions here. I'm not sure why. <laughs> so, sure. um, but yeah. So and then I do phone sessions for everyone all around the world, um, Australia, Europe, all all that. And is the best way to reach out through Instagram for a phone session or reach out through your website? That's fine. I mean, my email address is dramberlycarter at gmail.com. There's no period in that. So it's D-R-A-M-B-E-R-L-E-I-G-H carter at gmail.com. I also have an email address for my podcast. It's askamberly at gmail.com. So you can always contact me through there. You can contact me through um, my website, Instagram, yeah, the the Instagram is easy too. Like a DM is very easy to to get if I if I find it. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. it's it just a lot. But yeah. maybe you agree. I feel I feel safer on Instagram than TikTok. TikTok's mm-hmm. like a whole nother world for me. I don't understand it. I don't like follow anyone on TikTok because I don't know how. And um, I'm just yeah. using it for like <laughs> editing my videos, and I'm, I just don't know what I'm doing. Um, but I also I just forgot. I mean, I just remembered I have a YouTube channel as well. Ask Amberly. So, um, do you have your podcast on the YouTube channel? I do. I have, I have some of it on my YouTube channel. I'm I'm trying to hire someone to get all of that up and running on my YouTube so that people can watch or listen. So awesome. Okay. Well, thank you again, Dr. Carter. And I'm sure I'll talk to you soon. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Thank you for your time. Absolutely. Have a good day. Thanks. You too.